some of us saw the impossible happen again, nearly for the second time. Steve Smith nearly scored another century in the second Ashes Test at Lord's. In the first Ashes Test, he defied all odds. He showed that he was back in scoring two centuries in the one Test match. Now, if you don't know why that is significant, it's because perhaps you don't follow much cricket. Let me explain to you. No one has done that in the last 22 years as an Australian on English soil. And only three Australians in all of history have ever done that. And if you remember, you might have heard in the news, 12 months ago, Steve Smith was caught up in a scandal, in a board tampering scandal, and it looked like he had flushed his career down the toilet. He had thrown it all the way. He was on this trajectory towards being the greatest batsman in cricket of all time. And now he was looking at losing it all. Not being able to play for 12 months in any first-class cricket or test cricket, how on earth would he come back? It would just be doing the impossible. And I doubt it, and so many people would doubt it, that when he did come back, he'd be able to come back in this kind of way. But he did. He did the impossible. And it showed that so often in life we can lower the bar of what is possible. But when we see that bar raised, we recognize that we had such a small view of what was possible. And it gives us great joy. It gives me me great joy to see Steve Smith back in form, doing what he does so well, batting for the Australian cricket team. But it shows us that sometimes what seems impossible proves out to be very, very possible. We're in the middle of a series called Merge Your Universe. We're looking to talk about how, as we seek to evangelize and talk to our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues about Jesus, we want to work out how we can merge our universe with theirs. So not just simply invite them to church or to the regular event that we have for you, but rather how do we seek to get them and their friends, friends with our friends who are Christian as well. And as we seek to do life with these people and show them that Christians aren't that weird, we're all like them as well. As we seek to do that with them, we seek to show how perhaps being a Christian could be something they could be as well. Following Jesus might have some benefit to them as well as we seek to merge our universe with theirs. But perhaps the thing that's really difficult for us here in the Northern Beaches is that people seem to just have it all together. And we ask the question, why on earth would people want to come to church here on a Sunday morning or evening and learn about God and and work out why they should follow Jesus? It just seems impossible when you look at the lifestyle that people have here. When me and and Katie got back, we got back on the Friday night and we spent the Saturday and Sunday just relaxing, refreshing, praying and getting ready to go back to work. And we went to uh, Freshwater for breakfast on Sunday morning around 10 o'clock in the morning when I'd be at church normally. And I was watching people, enjoying the sunshine, going for a swim, coming back for a coffee, hanging out with their family, hanging out with the community, bumping into friends that they live around and stuff. And they were loving it. They were full of joy and happiness and excitement. And I thought to myself, why would anyone want to give that up on a Sunday morning? Why would they want to come to church? It just seems impossible. And the thing is, the Bible tells us it is impossible for us to convince these people to come to church. It is impossible for us to expect them on our own strength to want to know God and to follow Him. We can do everything we can, put on the the best events here at church, have the greatest services, but the reality is it is impossible for us to convince these people who have it all 
to come to church in our own strength. But as David read out for us, the best news is that what is impossible for us is possible for God. We might set the bar low for what is possible for us to achieve and to talk to people about Jesus, and we should. But we should never set the bar low for what is possible for God. We should never set the bar low for what is possible for God because as we read here, he can do the impossible. He can reach people who just seem to be unreachable. He can reach people who seem so far away from him, who look like they don't need him. He can reach them and show himself to them and bring them into faith and life with him. And this evening, I just want to share from Luke 19 and encourage us all when people seem so far away from God, people you love and care for, your neighbours, your colleagues, your friends, people who just seem, you look at them and go, it's just impossible for them to want to know Jesus. Tonight, God wants to tell you, I can do the impossible. You can't, but I can. And he does it through this man called Zacchaeus. So you've got your Bibles there if you want to go to Luke 19. We read in that first verse, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Jesus, as we heard and read, had just uh, met with a rich young ruler and it didn't go so well for him. Then he talks to his disciples about how he's going to go to Jerusalem. That's his mission. That's where he wants to go. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And they say, we don't understand what you're talking about. But they keep following him. And then he meets a blind beggar on the road. And he's crying out to Jesus. And the crowd is going, just sure, shut up. Don't annoy him. And Jesus heals him. And this crowd, they're heading towards Jericho. And they eventually get to Jericho. And we meet a man there called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, as we hear, is a tax collector, the chief of tax collectors, and he's very, very wealthy. Now, back then, people didn't like tax collectors. And you might ask, well, what's changed exactly? As I get older, I realize the ATO wants to take more and more money from me. And it's annoying, it's frustrating. And and so I don't like the tax office that much. But back then, people hated tax collectors. They despised them. They were scum of the earth for so many people. And there's two reasons why. The first reason is that they portrayed their own country. The Romans had occupied Jericho and Jerusalem, and the Romans would employ their own people, Jewish people, to collect tax for them. And so all the Jewish people thought, these people were scum. They're working for our enemy. They're portraying their country. But worse than that, they would rob their own people. They take more than what they should have taken. They take a bigger slice of the pie. So they weren't just simply betraying their own people, but they were robbing them of their livelihood. And so people hated them, despised them. And here we meet Zacchaeus. He is the chief tax collector. He is the one that organizes the whole system of cheating and stealing and robbing from those who are vulnerable and poor. And he uses this system to become wealthy off the backs of people who are vulnerable. And so people hated him. But here's the thing, you could do nothing about that. He was powerful. I mean, he's the chief tax collector. He is the means by which the Roman Empire got their money. So the Romans protected him. 
He was wealthy. So he was the guy you wanted to be on the inside with. You wanted to be friends with him because you would benefit from that friendship. So he had power, he had control, he had money, he had, he had it all. And yet we read in that chapter in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Why on earth would such a man care about a wandering preacher, a Jewish teacher? Why would he want to see who Jesus is? He's probably heard reports about this guy doing miracles, saying incredible things. But I wonder if actually he's heard about his mate Levi in the northwestern part of Israel. And he's heard about how he threw a party once and Jesus came to that party and all the kinds of people that he hangs out with was there as well. And he's probably thinking, maybe he can be my friend as well. Maybe he's got something to offer me that I don't actually have. You know, as I said before, we live in a, in a part of the world where we don't think many people, it's just impossible for them to want to ever come to Jesus. It's impossible for them to ever think about how they need God in their life because they have it all. They're healthy, they're wealthy, they live by the beach. They have the best food and coffee, they're fit, whatever it might be. And we just kind of, you know, just palm them off and say, it's too hard. They would never come to Jesus. They would never want to know who God is. I'm not going to bother merge my universe with theirs. But what if there's a whole bunch of Zacchaeuses out there? They live in your street, they work in your workplace, you're perhaps even friends with them. And they're looking for something more. The secular dream that they are living in is just not providing the life they had hoped for. Although they might have it all, they're still filled with anxiety and a sense of hopelessness and longing, and they don't know why, and they're looking for something more. Perhaps they're even looking for Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus had two barriers. He was short, tiny, wee man. He couldn't see over the second barrier, the crowd. And so he had to work out how he was going to see Jesus. And he was so keen. This is why we know he is legitimate. He's seeking because he runs. I mean, imagine a little man just running towards a tree. Everyone's going, what is this dude doing? You don't run in the first century. Running is fun here in Manly that people don't run back then. It was a shame for a wealthy man like him to run. And so the little man is running towards this tree to climb it up to see Jesus. He goes about embarrassing himself so he can get a look at who he is. Because he doesn't know who he is, but he knows he has something to offer him. And the question I want to leave with you before we keep going is, are we more like the crowd sometimes in our own life? Are there people, Zacchaeus, in our own life that we don't even know about, who are seeking something? Maybe they're even seeking Jesus. But because they're in the impossible basket, because they, we think they have, they'll have no chance of coming to church, we behave more like the crowd and we become a barrier to them and to God working through us in bringing them to Jesus. So the question I'll leave for just a moment. We come to verse 5 when Jesus and Zacchaeus meet. And up to this point, Zacchaeus is just hoping that he will find Jesus, that he will be noticed by Jesus. But then we read here, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. What started out as a hopeful attempt of finding Jesus ends in divine providence. Jesus 
is looking for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus might have been looking for Jesus, but Jesus has been looking for Zacchaeus, and in fact, Zacchaeus is the one who is found by Jesus. It, it says there in, in, in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, that's very specific language that Luke is employing here. You see, Jesus is not on this presidential campaign through Jericho going to Jerusalem. It's not like he's going to walk through Jericho and go, okay, what today? Let's just hang out with some people, shake some hands, kiss some babies' heads, do some miracles here, maybe go to this synagogue there or go to this place here and do some little talking and preaching. No, he is, when he's healing the blind beggar, he has in mind a spot that he wants to get to in Jericho. He knows he's going to get to Jericho. He knows where he's going. He has a very specific spot in mind where a tree is and the guy Zacchaeus is up and he has to get to that spot to see Zacchaeus and says, I must have dinner with you today. I must stay at your place. Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus, but in fact, he is instead, he's found by Jesus. Because Jesus is searching for him for far longer than Zacchaeus has been searching for Jesus. Now, what do the crowd make of this? They're not very happy, not very pleased. We read in verse 7, they're grumbling, they're saying... Doesn't he know that he is being the guest of a sinner? How would you feel if you're in the crowd and you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus bypasses you, you're like, he bypasses you and he goes straight for the guy who robs people of their livelihood. He goes for the sinner. He goes for the person who is a traitor to your country. How would you feel? you'd be pretty upset, angry, and bitter, frustrated that Jesus overlooked you and went for this person instead. We despise people like Zacchaeus. We have a thing called tall poppy syndrome in Australia. If you don't know what it is, we like the idea of cutting down people. We see people who are better than us, and we think to ourselves, I don't like that you're better than me, so I'm going to cut you down and bring you on my level or lower so I can feel good about myself. But when it comes to people like Zacchaeus, we despise them even more. We hate people who not just are better than us, but people who earn their wealth, earn their status through illegitimate means, through corruption, through extortion, through exploitation through cheating and lying and stealing. These people we are disgusted by. These people are so far away from God that we want nothing to do with them. We might even hate them. That's how strong we might feel about these people. When the Royal Commission to Banking was going on and people were sitting at that dock and they were being exposed for everything they are doing, I'm not sure how you guys felt, but I felt, certainly felt a sense of anger towards what they were doing exploiting poor customers, manipulating people who didn't know better to giving them their money. We despise people like that, who are bullies, who hurt us, and we don't want them or don't think they could ever to know God. I remember when I was in youth group 
when I was 14 years old. And, and to kind of get a picture of me at 14, I was like, I like to think of myself as like the kind of like the poster boy for Christianity at my church when I was 14 years old. I was the guy who was at youth every single week. I was at Bible study every single week. I would volunteer for everything but front and behind the scenes. I was just the guy, I thought to myself. And there's a bunch of other guys who would come along to youth group as well, and they were jerks. They were not Christians. They were just bullies, and they were the worst kind of people. And they would just make a muck every Friday night. And what they would do sometimes when I was 14 years old is they would form this circle. And you might have done this yourself, or this might have happened to you as well. They, might, they would form a circle and do what's called a washing machine circle or a pushing circle. And they would just get victim. What they'd do is they'd get their victim, they'd trap him in that circle, and they would just push them back and forth. And so what happened to me one Friday night is I became a victim of the pushing circle. And so they came and surrounded me and started pushing me left, right, forward, back and forth like a washing machine. And eventually some leaders came and stopped and broke up the whole thing. But I can tell you what, I was not happy. I was upset. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was like, why did these losers come to youth group every single Friday night and make my life hell? Why are they here? And they just kept coming. Even though sometimes they got banned from youth group. That's how bad it got. They got banned for like a, a month or two and they would come back. I don't know why they would come back, but they would. And then two years later... On a youth camp, when I was in year 10, they gave their life to Jesus. And I'm like, great. They're going to be here forever. <laughs> I was bitter. I was angry. And then all of a sudden, I lost all the attention. The leaders were like, these are the poster boys of Christianity. Now look how their lives were transformed. You know what I missed? And what the crowd missed here was actually what Jesus' mission is about. Jesus, as we read at the very end, there come, has come to seek and to save the lost. He has not come to cuddle Christians and make us feel really good. He's come to call sinners to repentance. He's come to call those who are unrighteous and so bankrupt morally and so far away from God. He's called to come those people into the inside. He didn't approve of what Zacchaeus did, but Zacchaeus was as far away from God as you can possibly get. And he looked at Zacchaeus and he didn't hate him. He didn't judge him. He wasn't bitter towards him. But he instead was compassionate. He looked at him. He saw him for all he was, his sin. How far away he was. And he felt compassion for it's this person, this kind of person I have come to save. If we want to see the God do the impossible in our life, save our friends and our family members and our colleagues perhaps, then we've got to be a people of compassion we've got to be able to look at the people in our world today who we might look at and be disgusted by and instead of judging them being bitter towards them being angry about what they do to us and and thinking they're so far away from god they could never possibly come to church we've got to look at them and be compassionate and seek to bring jesus to the table to love them and show the same grace that we all have experienced as well.
The reality is that we are all just like Zacchaeus. We are all morally bankrupt. We are all very far away from God. But he drew near to us and showed us that same compassion that he showed to Zacchaeus. And we ought to do the same. And when we show compassion, when we seek to direct and look at those people who come through our door or into our world and show them compassion, that's when we can know when God will do the impossible in us. Now, if we don't do that, God will still do the impossible. He'll still save people and draw people to himself. The crowd didn't stop him. But the question is, is do we as a church, do you as a person who follows Jesus, do you want to see God do the impossible in your life? That is, save your friends, your family members, people in your workplace. If you want to see God do that in your life, then you need to be a people of compassion. You need to look at those people who are far away from God and be, I'm going to be compassionate towards them, even though it's really hard to at the moment. Because when we do, we see God do the impossible. We see that in verse 8. After Jesus has spent some time with Zacchaeus, he comes out, and Zacchaeus comes out as well, and he says to Jesus, and before everyone else, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. We see the impossible happen with Zacchaeus. We see a man who meets the Lord Jesus and experiences the impossible. Salvation has come. This man has saved. The impossible happens in that he parts with his wealth. What that rich young ruler could not do earlier on in chapter 18, Zacchaeus somehow does because he meets Jesus. Don't you want to have been in on that conversation with, with Zacchaeus? To know what happened exactly? Why? Like how, do, how does Zacchaeus come to this point where he was a traitor and robbing people of their livelihood to this point where he's giving all his money away to them joyfully? I don't think we need to know exactly what happened because I think the way in which the narrative is structured tells us. And that's why I got David to read out that whole part, section because that section teaches us what is going on here in, in, in this moment where Zacchaeus confesses his faith to Jesus. It's not a coincidence that Luke bookends a healing of a blind beggar with a story of a man who rejects Jesus or can't save himself with another story of another rich man who does get saved. And that point is, is that the rich blind beggar calling out to be saved, son of David, save me. He wants his eyesight to be healed and Jesus comes and he heals his sight to show that only he can heal the physically blind. Only he can heal the physically blind and therefore only he can heal the spiritually blind. And what that says is that what happened in that room, we don't need to necessarily know what was said or done, but rather that when Jesus chooses to save someone, he does. No matter how far away and impossible it might seem, he can open the, blind, the eyes of the spiritually blind, those who reject and despise him. He can do just that. And so the encouragement for us is, is that no matter what we're doing in our life, 
And though it seems so impossible on the northern beaches for our friends and our family members to come to know Jesus, we must recognize the fact that Jesus can do the impossible in, our, in the lives of those that we live with. He can bring their eyesight back, spiritually speaking. He can heal them of their spiritual blindness to make them see that he is their God and they must follow him. And the question is, are we going to be a people of compassion to allow that happen? Are we, if we want God to use us in that way, then we must be people of compassion so we can see God work and bring people into his kingdom. But there's a warning for us at the end. Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, but he's also rebuking the crowd as well. And he says to them, or to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. In other words, he's saying to Zacchaeus that just as everyone else here is a son of Abraham, that is, but they belong to God and God's people, you too are also part of God's people. Just as everyone else here enjoys the blessing of knowing their God and knowing that he will bless them and love them and save them, you too can know and enjoy that you have God's blessing on your life and you are saved as well. And the question then, not just to Zacchaeus, is to the rest of the crowd, is will you accept him as your brother? Will you accept this man who once betrayed you, robbed you of your livelihood? Would you accept him now as someone who you will love as someone who is the same heir to the same promises, your brother. Or in other words, will you drop your pride and let this man in? I'm so glad that I, not long after when those boys became Christians that God did a work in my heart and allowed me to drop my pride and let these guys in and call them my brothers. And to this day, a number of them still follow Jesus. And in fact, uh, one of them is married and they're part of a church plant in the inner, inner west, in the inner city. And it's incredible to see how God's grace has worked despite me. Despite my hardness of heart, my pride, my issues, God still worked. I want to be someone now from going forward who God will use to do the impossible. I want to be someone not of pride but of grace and compassion i want to do what uh, they do when the blind beggar is healed they're praising god when all the people saw it they also praised god i want to be there when i see god do the impossible in people's lives i want to be there so i can praise god and give thanks to them but the question is, is will i be compassionate and will i drop my pride when it comes to the people who walk through the door, who our society otherwise despises and rejects? Will we, as a church community, welcome people through that door, no matter who, it, who comes through it? And not simply accept them for who they are, but rather show compassion, knowing that they, like yourself at one point, are lost. But they can be found in Jesus, and indeed that is why he has come, to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that your grace is sufficient for us, that you love us, you have forgiven us, and that we can have a relationship with you, even though we were so far off, even though it was impossible for us to be saved and to save ourselves. We thank you, Lord, 
that you did that impossible work in opening up our eyes to see you. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to trust in you, that we would go out from here to show compassion to people, to open up our lives to people, to merge our universe with other people, and to bring you, your son, to the table. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in this endeavor. We pray, Lord, that we'd be a people full of compassion and humility and that we would show the grace that you've given us and Jesus to those around us so that they may see you, turn to you and put their faith in you and that we would see and rejoice in the God who does the impossible and praise you with them as well. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Sing